1968, the eyes of Americans were glued to their television screens that Christmas Eve. And they were not looking for Santa Claus and his reindeer. The Apollo 8 with James Lovell and William Anders and Mission Commander Frank Borman was circling the moon. Three days before, launched on December 21, 1968, the Apollo 8 traveled to the moon in three days. It orbited 10 times in over 20 hours. This was a magnificent space feat, a magnificent first for America. It was the first manned space flight to leave Earth's orbit. It was the first crewed voyage to return to Earth from another celestial body, Earth's moon. And you may remember as the astronauts circled the moon, Jim Lovell radioed back to Earth and he said, the vast loneliness is awe-inspiring. It makes you realize just what you have back there on Earth. The astronauts commented later that looking at Earth from the vantage point of space took their breath away. But then on that Christmas Eve, William Anders began to read that significant message for all the people on Earth. The crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send you. They began to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And Americans stood there with bated breath, hearts beating a little faster, awestruck as they heard those words in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You and I are not a genetic accident. We're not merely genes covering genes and chromosomes that came together accidentally. We're not merely skin covering bones. We're not some haphazard arrangement of cellular molecules. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's creative works reveal an all-powerful, all-loving, all-intelligent designer. If you look at the laws of the universe, if you look at the way the universe operates, if you look at our environment, our, our environment speaks of order. It speaks of symmetry. It speaks of design. And where there is design, there must be a designer. Where there's intelligent design, there must be an intelligent designer. In fact, David in the Psalms, in Psalm 19 verse 1, said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And indeed they do. As we look into the heavens, the heavens magnificently declare God's wisdom, strength, power, and glory. All of creation, from the vastness of the heavens to the minuteness of the design of shells in the ocean, reveals this creator God. This God who's the lover of the infinite. This God who is a magnificent artistic designer. This God that created the heavens and the stars. Let's journey tonight 
and look at some of that magnificent evidence that indeed he's a marvelous creator. Our sun is 93 million miles from earth. What if it were 50 million miles from earth? What would happen? The earth would be consumed and burned up. What if it were 150 million miles away from earth? What would happen? We'd freeze. A loving creator God put the sun just in the right place to provide for us all of the health-giving benefits of those sun's rays that we need. Can you think about the immensity of the universe? Alpha Centauri, our nearest star. Our what star? Nearest star is 26 trillion miles away. Now, get, to get a little glimpse of what 26 trillion miles is, if you were able to ride in the fastest spacecraft, if we traveled on Voyager spacecraft, the fastest vehicle ever constructed, it would take us 70,000 years to arrive at Alpha Centauri, the first star, the closest star. Quite a magnificent, when you look at the vastness of the heavens, and you think of the symmetry and design, you think there must be an incredibly intelligent designer that designed all nature. And he must be all-wise, all-intelligent, and incredibly all-powerful. There are 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. There are a million galaxies in the bowl of the Big Dipper. If you just think of the Big Dipper, it is so vast Space is so awe-inspiring, it's difficult for the human mind to comprehend it. There are 125 billion visible galaxies in the universe. Just the galaxies, each one having tens of millions of stars, the visible galaxies, and scientists are discovering, and astronomers, new galaxies all the time, 125 billion galaxies. Wasn't the psalmist right when he said, Psalm 19.1, is not God in the height of the heaven and see the highest of stars, how lofty they are? That statement is not only theologically true, it's scientifically true. When you think of the vastness of space, when you think of the height of the stars, and then Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 22 says, the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Now let me share something fascinating with you. When Jeremiah wrote that text, Jeremiah 33, 22, the host of heaven cannot be numbered, there were no... Um, vast electronic telescopes at all. If you go out into the heavens, we are told if you count the stars that you can see with your eye through a handheld telescope, you'll have 5,119. Now, if you don't believe me, please, get your telescope and go out there, one, two, three, four, five, six. You count those, and if you get Less, you missed one. Recount, please. <laughs> if you get more, you, you added one. Please recount. Because I am told by reliable sources that through a handheld telescope, you can see 5,119 stars. But Jeremiah writes, the host of heaven cannot be numbered. You know, it is, the story is told of Napoleon that his... Sailors were arguing over the existence of God one night, and they were traveling on a boat down the Seine River in France. And Napoleon that night stood there and listened to their argument. 
Then Napoleon simply said to them, Gentlemen, who made the stars? And he left them to ponder the vastness of space, the infinite nature of space. All around us, our environment speaks to us. All around us, echoing and re-echoing down the corridors of time. All around us, the stars and the infinite nature of the universe speaks to us of this God that loves, this God that cares, this God of wisdom, this God of intelligence, this God of design. The earth travels at 134 miles a second through the atmosphere. But this earth is traveling in orbit. Other planets are traveling. And the stars like great water skiers passing back and forth underneath the ropes. These planets travel through space. It's amazing that they don't collide as they travel at these phenomenal speeds. Who holds them in his hand? I love that old song. He's got the whole world. Where? In his hands. And he does, my friend. Who keeps all these heavenly bodies in order? Our environment, the natural word speaks to our senses of a God that can order the planets and a God that can order our lives. In the book Wonder Worlds, page 13, it says, Mere matter cannot be endowed with such capacity. That is the capacity of order and design. The universe is not a haphazard aggregation of accidental bodies moving without system and working order. It is the work of omnipotence. The Bible is true. God created the world. The words of the astronauts are true. In the beginning, what is it? Finish it with me, please. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the work of omnipotence. The sun rises and sets on time. It's predictable. The tides come in and out on time. It's predictable. The God that causes those planets not to collide. The God that causes the sun to rise and set on time. The God that causes the tides to come a certain distance, and he says, you can come here and come no farther. This God of order and design and symmetry, this God of planning has a plan for your life, and he plans good for you. All of nature speaks of his care and his concern and his love, and if he's caring for the birds, if he cares for all nature, certainly he cares for the crowning act of his creation, human beings. Our ecosystem is perfectly balanced, Rain falls into the oceans and rivers. It evaporates and goes back up into the clouds. It comes down again as rain, and the water we drink is older than the pyramids. What a perfectly designed ecosystem designed by this amazing and loving God. Don't you like what Psalm says? Let's read it together in Psalm 33 there and verse 5. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. When you take a walk with head erect and shoulders back and you're breathing in that life-giving air and you're drenched with the sunshine and you are walking and looking at the trees, say to yourself, the earth is filled with the goodness of the Lord. In spite of the evil in our world and the suffering and the sorrow and disappointment, all goodness is not gone. And every day as the sun rises, God bathes this earth with goodness. And every day as we breathe in fresh air, God breathes God bathes this world with goodness, and as we drink pure crystalline water and it inspires and invigorates our body, God bathes our bodies in this world with goodness. The natural world around us speaks of his love, it speaks of his care, it speaks of his plan for 
our lives. Our environment around us is health-giving and life-giving. Look at the, let's look tonight at some of the properties in our environment that are so life-giving. Richard Loth, in his book on dealing with children, talks about lost in the woods. And he talks about a generation growing up in city environments. And he points out that new research indicates that healthy childhood development contributes to physical and emotional health if we spend time in nature. In other words, children who spend time in nature are a lot more healthy than if they are not in nature. And Louvre in his book cites research that indicates that we were made for a garden, that the more time we spend in natural environment, the healthier we become. I was interested in some research done by Andrea Faber-Taylor and Francis Kuo from the University of Illinois. The title of the article was, Mother Nature Helps Kids with ADHD Concentrate. And it pointed out that if you have kids with ADHD and you can get them out, into the sunshine and fresh air in a garden-like environment, even for 20 minutes a day, their research from the University of Illinois indicates that it makes a significant difference and it has a calming effect on those children. We came from a garden. We were made to return to that garden. Let's look at the benefits of sunlight from a physiological standpoint. Point. Sunlight enhances our immune systems. It lifts our spirits. It improves our sleep and increases our energy. If you want to strengthen your immune system, get out in the sunshine. If you feel a little discouraged, walk out in the sunshine. If you want to sleep better, walk in the sunshine. Dr. Cummings, in his book, Eight Secrets of a Healthy Hundred, page 61, says that sunlight increases serotonin, a happiness brain chemical. Reduced serotonin levels have been associated with many disorders, including ADHD, irritability, depression, chronic fatigue, syndrome, and nausea. So you're feeling a little bit irritable. Go out in the sunshine. Take a walk. That sunshine will help to produce serotonin. Your nerves will be calmed, and you'll walk in feeling like everything is all right. Billy was a young man living in East Los Angeles. Billy had an incredibly troubled past. Billy stayed out late at night, ran with the wrong crowd. His life was going down, down, down. Dr. Cummings at that time was a youth director in the Southeastern California Conference. And a pastor called Dr. Cummings and said, look, I have a troubled kid. We don't know what to do with him. Would you take him to an Christian Adventist summer camp for eight weeks. Maybe it'll turn him around. Dr. Cummings had real questions about that. And he said, look, we'll give the kid a trial of a week. You'll read this story and imagine a healthy hundred. And as Dr. Cummings prayed about it, he said, I really want to help this boy, but I know if I put him in with all the other kids in camp, we may really have some trouble. He remembered that they had a wilderness camp. And he went to the director of the wilderness camp and he said, I have a challenge for you and I want you to take on this young boy, Billy. He's a troubled youth from East L.A. But I'd like you to take him camping. I'd like you to take him out in the meadows and spend a week with him there. Camping, cooking in the outdoors, sitting under the stars, hiking the mountains. Billy came for a week and in one week his life was dramatically changed. He ended up spending the entire summer at that camp. 
he fell in love with nature so much and the God of nature that Billy wanted to instruct others in what he learned about. Here's a kid living in the jungle that came back to a garden and it made all the difference in his life. When you feel tense and stressed out, when you feel oppressed by the dark clouds of discouragement, get out in the sunshine and recognize that as you do that, God's love is shining upon you. You see, throughout the Bible, light is a symbol of God's shining presence. Light is a symbol of God's love in the Bible. When Genesis says, let there be light, not only was there physical light, but the presence of God was coming to create a world. Light speaks of a God who daily surrounds us and guides us with his presence. Light in the Bible is a symbol of the very presence of God. Psalm 4 verse 6 says, let the light of your face shine upon us. So when I take a walk in the sunshine, I remember Psalm 4 verse 6. God, let the light of your face shine upon me. Not only do I walk in the sunshine and think about the serotonin that is being generated in my brain chemicals, but I'm thinking about the reality of the fact that light represents God's presence. And I say, Lord, I'm surrounded in your presence. Too often, my eyes are focused on earth. Too often, the problems of earth weigh me down. Too often, the burdens of earth are pressing out on my shoulders. Too often, the dark clouds surround me. But the sunlight reminds me of the sunlight of God's love. It reminds me of a God that smiles upon me. A God that is indeed speaking to me through light. Light speaks of a continual presence of God. It will never lead us or never forsake us in the, in the dark moments of our life. In the discouraging moments in our life. When the darkness of divorce hits your family. When the darkness of sickness surrounds you. When the darkness of a business going sour surrounds you. The sun still shines in the sky. Reminding you that the light of God's presence has not left you. Psalm 36 verse 9. Please read it with me. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. He is the fountain of life. And all of light represents the light that he has for your life. Even in darkness, God lights up your future. Even in darkness, God illuminates a pathway before you. There are no dead ends with God. When you are in the tunnel of darkness, look through that darkness and see the light of his love shining upon you. Now, light speaks of a God who constantly illuminates our darkness. Millions of people are confused about the meaning of their lives. They're saying, is life just getting up in the morning, wolfing down a cup of coffee, eating a glazed donut on the way to work, going to work and working all day, coming home at 5 o'clock, eating supper, watching television, doing the same thing the next day and the next and the next. What's the meaning of life? Shakespeare in his play Macbeth in Act 5, Scene 5 said this, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. What despair, what hopelessness, what darkness, Mr. Shakespeare. Life is not a tale told by an idiot. It is not full of sound and fury signifying nothing, Mr. Shakespeare. Because the good book says, Genesis 1-1, say it together with me, in the beginning 
God created the heavens and the earth. Life is not darkness, it is His light. Light speaks of a God who colors our lives with purpose. You know, light is not one color, it's many. And light speaks of a God that colors our life with purpose and meaning and brings joy and happiness to our lives and brings direction to our lives. When you walk in the sunshine, think of the light of His presence. Think of the light that illuminates darkness. Think of the goodness and magnificence of this God. You know, when Jesus was going to be born, John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus when He was coming there to be baptized, John said, John 1 verse 9, that Jesus is the true light that lights every man coming into the world. Jesus called Himself. He said, I am the light of life. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world who follows me will not walk in darkness, but the light of life. Do you want to have light in your mind, light that chases away the darkness? When Jesus came, he revealed that light. Coming to Jesus, we find light that illuminates our darkness. Jesus came through the crowds. He touched the eyes of the blind, and they were opened. He touched the ears of the deaf, and they were unstopped. He touched the arm of the withered the withered man's arm, and it had new life flowing through it. Jesus touched the legs of the cripple, and they leaped. When we see Jesus, we see the one who is the light of the world, and coming to Jesus, we find the greatest meaning and greatest purpose in our lives. Jesus found a woman who was looking for meaning and purpose and direction. Her life was filled with darkness. Men had thought she was a plaything and an object to be used, and so she had fallen into moral disrepute continually. But Jesus came to her, and he said, Go and sin no more. And she got up and found the light of His forgiveness, the light of His grace, the light of His mercy, the light of His love. Are you looking for meaning in your life? Are you looking for purpose in your life? Sometimes you lie on the bed of your, your bed at night and look up at a dark ceiling and say, Lord, what in the world is this all about? Is life, is death a dark hole in the ground? Is death a long night without a morning? Let Jesus come into your life, this one who is the light of the world. Let him light your mind with new hope and new courage. He gave that woman a new start, and he'll give you a new start tonight. That's what his light is all about. Jesus says, John 12, verse 34, walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. He who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. Jesus says, look, tonight I'm revealing my love to you. When you walk out and see the sunshine, remember that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His light of love and grace and mercy wants to come into your life. He wants you to have the smile and a sunlit face of His love and grace and goodness. You know, the Bible begins with a perfect world, and God says, let there be light. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and the darkness of sin and disease and suffering and sorrow and death come upon our world. But I've got good news for you. The Bible ends with a perfect world. The last chapter of the Bible... Revelation 22, verse 3, and 5, 3 through 5, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face. We saw His face in the garden. We'll see His face when the earth is remade like a garden again after He comes. They shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. The darkness is gone. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. Chaos and calamity and conflict will be over. Disease and disaster and death will be over. Pollution and poverty and peril will be over. Jesus Christ will come. 
And one day, after what the Bible calls that thousand-year millennium, the holy city will descend. This earth, this planet in rebellion that has been pockmarked by sin with war and worry and weariness, this world will be made over again. And the Bible says, Matthew 5, verse 5, the meek shall inherit the earth and the light of his love will shine from one end of the earth to the other. This is incredibly good news. God created the world in Eden. And he's going to recreate the world. Adam and Eve lived in a garden, and one day you and I are going to return to that garden home when this earth is recreated. All around us are symbols of his love, sunshine and air. It's possible to live days without food, hours without water, but only minutes without air. Dr. Cummings pointed out again, fresh air is electrified with life-giving oxygen molecules which enhances a sense of well-being, increases the rate and quality of growth in plants and animals, decreases anxiety through its tranquilizing and relaxing effect, lowers resting heart rate, and decreases survival of bacteria and viruses in the air. You know, as I'm walking along outside in the sunshine, I'm breathing in fresh air. I'm saying, man, this is wonderful. This is incredible. I am reducing the reduce of I'm reducing the possibility of disease. I'm improving the quality of my life. I am lowering my resting heart rate, as I walk along and breathe in, I think of all the benefits it has for me. And because I'm thinking about that, my mind triggers biological reactions so they even happen more fa faster. But if you were walking around like this, oh Lord, I really don't want to take this walk. Oh man, my back hurts. Oh Lord, please, I got to pin on my knee, Lord. Oh, I got to walk another mile, Lord. Oh, this is tough, Lord. This is rough. Oh, man, I'm going to exercise if it kills me. <laughs> it probably will. <laughs> when you walk out with head erect and shoulders back, even if you don't love it at first, tell yourself you do. And pretty soon, you will. Now, dry air contains roughly 78.09% nitrogen, 20.95% oxygen, 0.93% argon, 0.039% carbon dioxide, and small amounts of other gases. Why did I say that? Because if air did not have that exact chemical balance, you might breathe it in and die. Air contains a variable amount of water vapor. If the chemical composition of air was any different, our Earth could not sustain life. Isn't he a wonderful creator? Every time you take a breath, you don't realize it. But a loving creator mixed the formula for air just right. Can somebody say, thank you, God? Thank you, God, for doing that. Air pressure has a viscosity. Now, what's a viscosity? It's kind of the way that bodies move, like fluids move. Um, it's the pressure in those fluids that enables them to move. Air pressure has a viscosity that's 50 times greater than water's. Now, what difference does that make? If air pressure didn't have this viscosity, breathing air would be like taking honey in a syringe. James J. Lovelock from Oxford University, 1987, in his book, he's talking about the composition of air, and he says, the overall composition and general character of the atmosphere, its density, viscosity, and pressure must be very similar to what it is, particularly for air-breathing organisms. In other words, Dr. Lovelock, Oxford University says, if air were much different, it could not sustain life. 
God had all that planned. This is no biological accident. Uh, God designed the lungs and he designed the air properly to go in the lungs that he designed because God knew that we'd need to breathe that amount of air, that quality of air into these lungs of ours. If the atmosphere's values of density, fluidity, and pressure were already, by even a fraction, if they were altered, inhaling would become as hard as drawing honey into a syringe. It's amazing when you think about it. Michael Denton wrote a book called Nature and Destiny, and he said, he's a scientist, and he said, it is clear that if either the viscosity or the density of the air were much greater, the airway resistance would be prohibitive, and no conceivable redesign of the respiratory system would be capable of delivering sufficient oxygen to a metabolically active air-breathing organism. He goes on. It is surely of enormous significance that several essential conditions are satisfied in this one tiny region in space, planet Earth, of all possible atmospheres. Of all the atmospheres in the universe, this Earth was designed by a loving God prepared for you and me. All around us, there are indications of his love and his goodness. Every breath we take is a gift from our Creator who wants us to live life to the fullest. You were not placed on planet Earth to endure life until you die so you'd have a better life later. You were placed here to live life in all of its abundance. You were placed here to live life in all of its fullness. That's why God gave us fresh air. That's why God gave us sunlight. That's why God gave us those magnificent plant-based garden foods and garden dishes. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5, Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives, read the rest of it with me, what is it? Who gives breath to the people on it. Who gives us the air? Air is a gift of a loving creator who wants us to be healthy and well. Acts 17, verse 25, He, God, gives to all life and breath to all living things. He's the loving God that does that. Our atmosphere's properties must be right, not only for respiration purposes, but to maintain life on planet Earth. When God created this world, he knew exactly what he was doing. If the pressure were to be decreased, that is atmospheric pressure, by as little as a fifth, water evaporation would take place and, and over the lands and oceans, would increase dramatically, would have deserts. You know, if we have decreased atmospheric pressure, we get the greenhouse effect and we can't sustain life. If we have increased atmospheric pressure, we'll have a, a, a cold earth that can't sustain life. So the chemical composition of air, the viscosity of the air, the atmospheric pressure, all of that comes together couldn't possibly have happened in evolution. It comes together by a loving God that cares for us. God created our planet to provide the best possible environment for his creatures. This planet was created with you in mind. But you know, when we think of air, air in the Bible represents God's life-changing agent. You know, Ezekiel, the prophet, spoke in vision. God gave Ezekiel a vision of a valley and the valley was filled with bones, and the bones, of course, people were dead in that valley. And God said to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37, verse 3, He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know. Now picture this scene. 
In prophetic vision, Ezekiel is in a valley. And in that valley, there are all dry bones and they are dead corpses. And in that vision, God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds and says, only you know, Lord. Then God says to Ezekiel, behold, O my people, I'll open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves. The Bible then says, I'll breathe my breath upon you. I'll put my spirit in you and you shall live. So in the Bible, air is a symbol of the Holy Spirit that gives us spiritual life. Have you ever felt that your spiritual life was gone? Maybe you're a Christian and you're a Christian by name. Maybe you attend a particular church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Catholic church, a Lutheran church. Maybe you attend an Adventist church. But your prayer life has slipped away. You find Bible study life boring. You go to church simply because of obligation and duty. But you know in your heart, you're spiritually dead. God says to you tonight, just as the breath and the air gives life and invigorates the body, so my spirit can blow upon you tonight. This night can be a new start for you. Watching on Hope Channel tonight, you're sitting in your home. You're asking yourself the question, is God real? You're saying, I used to believe as a child, but my spiritual life is dead tonight, this moment. The Holy Spirit can reawaken the spiritual longings of your soul. God can move in your life. Even as I speak, you can say, oh God, may the breath of your spirit come upon me. One night, many years ago, a religious man that was religious only in name, Nicodemus, came to Jesus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 7 and 8, Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, and so it goes. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you think you're religious because of what you do. You go to church. Nicodemus, you're a Jew. You pay your tithe. You follow all these health principles. Nicodemus, there's something tragically wrong inside. Your life hasn't been transformed. The Spirit of God hasn't made you new. And Nicodemus, just like the wind you see, I want to work a miracle in your life. I want the wind of my spirit to blow in your life. And Jesus says, as you look at the physical wind, it represents the wind of his spirit. And the wind of his spirit can touch you tonight. I've seen God do it again and again and again around the world. We've had gang leaders come to our meetings and motorcycles, park them outside, and they've come to the meetings, and the Spirit of God has touched them and changed their lives. We've had businessmen stressed out, no interest in religion, but something gets a hold of their life in a meeting like this, and the wind of the Spirit blows, and they're changed, they're transformed, they're made over again. God's Spirit can touch you tonight. The Spirit of God moves in our lives, and like that wind, it comes. The light of God's light reveals that God can illuminate your darkness. Sunshine of his love reveals that he has a plan for your life. The wind of his spirit comes, gives us freshness and newness. Do you long for something more in your spiritual life? Tonight God says, yes, I want to come with the wind of my spirit and transform you. I want to make you over again. Water is absolutely essential. And it's a symbol of God's satisfying purpose. You know, water 
Somebody called it the no-calorie wonder. It has no calories, no irritants. It's readily available, cheap. As we look at the environment, we're looking at sunshine. We're looking at fresh air. We're looking at water. Water is essential for the efficient circulation of the blood. Water is needed for every function of human life. It's needed for respiration, digestion, saliva, tears, temperature control, flexibility. Most medical researchers and physicians who are interested in health indicate that we ought to be drinking between six and eight glasses of water every day. You get water, of course, from drinking water. You get some water and liquid from your foods, particularly if you're eating an abundant amount of fruits. Water is the beverage that God gave to provide to quench our thirst of animals and man. Drunk freely, water helps to supply the necessities of the system and assist nature to resist disease. Did you get your adequate amounts of water today? Every day as you're drinking water, it really energizes the body. What are some of the benefits of drinking adequate amounts of water? What are they? Here they are. Scientific studies reveal the following benefits of drinking adequate amounts of water. Let's look at them together. What does water do first? Improves our digestion. If you're having some trouble with your digestion, don't drink with your meals, but about a half an hour before your meals and uh, after your meals, about an hour and a half, two hours after your meals. If you drink adequate amounts of water, it's going to help your digestion. Secondly, water purifies the blood. Thirdly, water enhances circulation. Water eliminates toxins within and, of course, water without. And water increases your energy. If you find that you have an energy low, caffeine will stimulate your nervous system, give you an artificial energy high, but then leave you lower than when you started so that the more you depend on caffeine, the more you have to continue to depend on it to get that energy. Whereas water... Drunk, in, drunk regularly and systematically will keep your energy levels extremely high. An inadequate amount of water negatively impacts both our health and our mental attitudes. There's been some interesting research in water and mental attitudes. Did you know that about 85% of our brain is water? So if somebody says, you have water on your brain, say thank you very much. My brain's about 85% water. That's pretty good news for me. Our brain is hydrated by water. And the more we drink often, the more mentally alert that we become. The lack of water can lead to dehydration. I want to talk to you about spiritual dehydration. Throughout the Bible, water is a symbol of the satisfying purpose that Jesus Christ has for our lives. Many people are dehydrated spiritually. They're dehydrated spiritually. They're aimless and purposeless in their lives. They wonder what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose of life. Throughout the Bible, water is a symbol of God's ultimate purpose in satisfying each one of us with his glorious presence. Just like there's nothing that satisfies like a good, cool glass of water. You can take a glass of pop that's filled with sugar and you drink it down and 10 minutes later you want another one and another one, right? But you take a good, cool, refreshing glass of water and there's nothing that satisfies like that. A new car won't satisfy you. A new job won't satisfy you. A new dress won't satisfy you. A new house won't satisfy you. 
Oh, there's a temporary illusion. Those things may satisfy us for a little while. Sitting on a corporate board won't satisfy you. Having 10 credit cards in your wallet's not going to satisfy you. It may depress you after a while. <laughs> the next party won't satisfy you. The next cigarette won't satisfy you. The next bottle of alcohol won't satisfy you. Money, materialism, position, fame, honor are not satisfying. They are temporary illusions. There is one thing that satisfies, coming to Jesus and knowing Jesus as that water of life. There was a woman one day that came to draw water at a well at noon. The reason she came at noon is because she didn't want to come in the morning when the rest of the women drew water, because she was too embarrassed. She was a woman of ill repute, a woman that had multiple husbands, and the man that she was living with was not her husband. And Jesus spoke to her in John 4, verse 13 and 14. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus says, I am the water of life. Do you want light in your darkness? Jesus is that sunlight. Do you want the refreshing draft of air, the, the power of the wind? You look at the power of that wind, hurricane, tornado, cyclone. Wind is powerful, blows over houses, uproots trees. The power of the wind of the Spirit can uproot attitudes and habits and transform our life. Water signifies satisfaction. Are you looking for satisfaction? Something that will not let you down. Jesus said to that woman, I am the water of life. And there looking into his eyes, she saw one that knew all about her, but cared for her still. She knew, saw one that knew her inner beings, their longings, but did not condemn her. She saw one that would reach out in forgiveness and grace and mercy. And she left her water pot by that well and ran to tell the story of his love and his grace and mercy. For the first time in her life, she found satisfaction and she found meaning and she found direction. Jesus satisfies like a cool draft of water on a hot summer day. Like a cool, refreshing stream, Jesus and Jesus only satisfies. John 7, verse 37 and 38 says, if anyone thirsts, I love it, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, it doesn't say if a man thirsts, it doesn't say if a woman thirsts, if it doesn't say a rich person or a poor person, it doesn't say a black person or a white person or a brown person, it doesn't say an African, it doesn't say a South American, it doesn't say somebody from the United States or a European or an Indian, if anyone Anyone means you and anyone means me. Do you feel thirsty tonight? Is there something more in your life you're longing for? Longing for that you haven't felt quenched with yet. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We can come to that, Jesus. John Newton was a slave trader. He grew up on the boats trading in commodities between England and Africa, Jamaica and the islands. And John Newton, whose father was a sailor at sea, 
began trafficking in human beings, that horrible, despicable crime of slavery. And he saw slave after slave brought on to his slave boats. And he heard the groans of those slaves as they were chained by the hundreds in the holds below. In places that were four feet by four feet, you would have three, four, five, six people. Often a third of the slaves would die and they'd be thrown overboard. Others that were too weak and sick would be thrown overboard. Newton trafficked in slavery. There was little purpose in his life, little meaning in his life. But there was something deep in his heart that he knew he was missing something. Something deep in his soul that he longed for that he didn't have. He had great bouts of discouragement one night. Some place between Africa and England, on one of those boats, a terrible storm came up. The wind lashed the waves into fury. The darkness settled over the sky, and like someone throwing a cosmic switch, the stars and moon went out. And in the darkness of that night, Newton knew that it was his last night. But he cried out, O oh Lord, have mercy on me. Strangely, the storm abated. The sea became calm. And after that journey, Newton said, I know God has a plan for my life. And his plan is not to trade and traffic into human beings. And Newton fell on his knees. He said, oh God, if you can accept me, I'll never do this again. I am so sorry. He wept his eyes out. He began to study God's word. And he found the sunlight of God's love surrounding him. He began to study God's word. And the breath of the Spirit breathed upon him. And this man with a hardened heart, who had trafficked in human beings, had a compassionate, loving, gentle spirit. And as he drank the water of life, he found Jesus. One night, he sat down and he penned these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. In grace, my fear is relieved. How precious did that grace appear in the hour I first believed. The sunshine of God's love and God's grace is shining upon you tonight. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.